Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer Bagnashi with Deep Believer. Today, we have a very impressive guest today. His name is Randall Rathbun. He's a mathematician. He also was a computer scientist engineer. He also has experience in earthquake research. He has a fantastic story today because he actually died in a tragic car accident, went to hell, visited heaven, and came back to tell you a specific testimony and a warning. Randall, please introduce a little bit more about yourself. Okay. I uh, was born and raised in Montana. My parents were very studious people, and they said, do the best that you can. So I did graduate Magnuson Cum Laude, valedictorian of my high school, and headed off to Montana State University in Bozeman, Montana where I had electrical engineering scholarship. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. So would you, I'm sure you wouldn't consider yourself a genius, but other people will continue, consider yourself a genius, no? Well, Jen, <laughs> <laughs> interestingly enough, there's one thing that I uh, try to avoid doing and that's intimidating people. I. I get a little self-aware and I want everybody to be themselves and not feel intimidated. <laughs> well, it's a good, it's a good characteristic to have. Um, so let's start off with how you became a Christian. That was very remarkable, Jennifer. Uh, I came back from Christmas vacation from Bozeman back to Lewistown, Montana, about 180 mile trip in the middle of the winter with blizzards. And my parents told me to stay home uh, with my little brother, Michael, who was 10 months younger than me, until they got back from their very first vacation in Hawaii. So they were said, we'll bring special Christmas presents for you. And that was my first break from college. Well, I'm sitting there minding my own business. In the afternoon, I hear a loud knock on the door. And people don't knock in the middle of Montana in the wintertime. And so I went to the door and to my surprise was my older brother, Lowell, three years older than me. I had not seen him for about four or five years. And he had a, a kid with him named David. And he said, can I come in? And of course I got him in the house, got the snow brushed off him. And then he proceeded to tell me, you have to come to Mora, Minnesota. Something's happened. I said, well, what? He said that uh, there's something happening. You just have to come. And he actually took off with my brother, Michael, that very afternoon. And uh, they headed 850 miles back to Mora, Minnesota. My parents got home the next day. They were infuriated, where's your little brother? And I gave a kind of a dumb answer. I said, oh, my, my little brother's keeper. <laughs> and they didn't like that answer. And back we went and we walked into, at the, we, I didn't know what was going on. It was a religious revival with Lutheran, Missouri Senate Lutheran, and God had visited and had shown us about being born again. So as a result of that, I got born again at 12.39 a.m. in the morning. 
Wow. On December 29th, 1969, in the study of the pastor downstairs in his study. I still remember that experience very well to this day. And how old were you again? I was 18 years old at that time. Oh, so you were older. Okay, so um, were you active in the church once you became a Christian? Or I was very active in the Lutheran church. I was considered the best communicant, uh, catechist, person taking the catechism. The pastor, uh, he said, you're one of the most religious kids we've ever met. I was always lighting the candles and putting them out on Sunday. <laughs> Uh, but even my brother attended the Baptist services because he felt there needed to be more than what we were getting in the Lutheran church. So uh, we attended that too. So we were very active religiously. So you attended the Lutheran church as well as the Baptist church? Yes. Okay. Yes, I did. Okay. So when I spoke to you earlier, you mentioned that um, you had a childhood where your father may have opened doors um, that may have led you to the incident in August of 2002. Could you just tell us a little bit about your childhood if you're comfortable with that? I, I don't know that much about that, Jennifer, but I do know definitely that a spiritual door was opened up and I was attacked at night. Uh, often two or three times a week, I would be attacked. And uh, the only reason for that to happen is when a parent has a doorway open. And the, the, these were horrific nightmares. One, I do remember one where I tried to resist and fight back. This was when I was in junior high school. And the being actually stabbed me through the heart. And it was such intense pain, I thought I was going to die on the spot. When I woke up, I was sweating profusely from the fear and the pain. So I, I don't know exactly what my father did, but there was a door that had definitely been opened there. Uh, I tried to get my parents to help, but they couldn't help me. And that was kind of a very helpless feeling for me to know that you're still open to these attacks and even your parents can't help you. Uh, now, did your parents not know about the supernatural realm? Did they not believe in demons or angels or were they even saved? My dad was not that religious. He did. He had to actually kind of be pulled to go to church on Sunday. He was very reluctant on going to the service. My mother was very studious, very religious. And so that we had an appointment every Sunday. Um, he, he just was not that religious a person. So when I tried to talk, uh, my mom dismissed it and said, oh, you'll get over it, you'll grow over it. You know, we all have nightmares, but you'll get over it, son. Everything will be fine. <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't fine. <laughs> but was it a nightmare? Was it a nightmare or was it something physical? Did you really feel this or was it just something in your 
dreams, the nightmares, or it, was it, it? It went from a dream to lucid dreaming where I was in control and I, I knew I was in my body, but this being came up. He, he was very real, uh, came out of nowhere that fear was tremendous. And when he stabbed me, I didn't expect that to happen at all. And the pain was horrific. I read later that people who have heart pain said it's one of the worst, strongest pains the human body can experience. So I believe it. Mm, wow. Because I know um, at times when I would have nightmares, um, I couldn't feel the pain. And I've heard others say the same too. But you say you felt it, which I believe it's truly spiritual warfare that was coming after you. Um, okay. So let's go more back into you being involved in this church. So you came to a point where you became a worship leader at one of your churches? Well, that was very interesting how that happened. Uh, I don't mean to take a side trip here, but uh, my brother was actually in the group of Mora. He stayed there. I came back from the Christmas born again, but then I felt that I needed to go to Mora. So I stayed out. I actually quit college much to my father's anger and regret and uh, was out there in Mora for about five years uh, until I was actually um, kicked out of that group of people. They're still going today, believe it or not. Uh, Christ's household of faith, they're now located in St. Paul, Minnesota, but uh, I was with that group of people for uh, about five years. I still remember the very day <laughs> I got kicked out, June 5th, 205 p.m., 1975. <laughs> that proves you are a math person. You love numbers. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I hate math. Um, <laughs> um, um, okay, so how long were you in worship for? Well, I need to answer your question. I'm sure. sorry. Sure. After I came over to, my father invited me to come over to California. And on my birthday, I landed in San Diego and stayed with them and got to know a wonderful church, charismatic church that was led by Vernon Gortner and Merlin Carruthers. And it was kind of a key church in the country that time for a charismatic movement. He had a book that was very popular called Prison to Praise. So I joined that group of people, and that's where I learned about the baptism and the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and that. And I got very active in the church and actually uh, came on the worship team. I had done band and choralers and choir in high school, so I was just taking advantage of my musical <laughs> abilities there. But I got very active in the worship on uh, praise center was on the worship team helping lead the worship for Sunday. Okay, now during that course, though, you began to backslide. What happened? Well, how do I say it? <laughs> Maybe it's not so much backsliding is it's leaving doors open that should have been shut. Uh, in college, uh, the very first time I got exposed to the wrong stuff was when my 
colleague and roommate in high school uh, invited me over to his dorm after about two or three weeks of setting in. And Jennifer, when I walked in inside his dorm room, it was plastered literally from floor to ceiling, even on the ceiling, with pictures from Playboy. And I felt terribly trapped and impacted by that. Something got a hold of me that time that did not let go. There was a, a, an attraction that kind of set up inside of me. Well, come uh, fast forward. Well, here I am in San Diego County up in Escondido, and I haven't let go of this stuff yet. Uh, and I, I say this, and I'm going to be somewhat sad saying this with regrets to my Heavenly Father, but uh, you, it leaves a very bad uh, scar in your soul and spirit. And it's an open access door for the enemy and wicked, evil spirits, uh, immoral spirits to come in. And I literally uh, was up severely oppressed by, by that. And I felt every time I looked at pornography, it would pull me in more and more. And finally, it went from just looking to where I had to go uh, downtown San, uh, San Diego and actually participate in uh, fornication, uh, just say it for what it is, sin of fornication. I'll absolutely end you up in hellfire. But I was doing that secretly. I didn't want anybody to know about this at all. But I knew I was in a terrible shape. And my conscience would convict me all the time, particularly Sunday. How, Randall, how can you help lead worship but be participating in these things. So you had two different lives, obviously. People at church yes. thought Randall was one person, but you know there was another side. Yeah, Randall the hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's go into that day, August 2002. You were working at um, the Aviator um, location, or where were you? I was working for Northrop Grumman at that time that had just recently bought out TRW. Uh, it was the Military Electronics Aviation Division. It was located in Rancho Bernardo, California, which is south of Escondido, just across the, the lake there, Lake Hodges. And I was doing earthquake research, but I made a blunder in a presentation to upper management and I realized I kind of scotched my career. I was an up and promising engineer. Uh, I was being considered for technical fellowship, which is a real honor for engineers. And I had gotten my job uh, in F-22 work because the general manager came across my mathematics paper. He was so impressed. He said, I'll give you any job you want in any one of my 12 divisions. So. I, I picked the up 22 because it was the most stable program. But 
all that time, I was still living this secret life. So that week, I got called on the carpet because uh, I was starting to have a nervous breakdown, uh, Jennifer. I realized that I had kind of done it to myself in my career. And uh, my supervisor was telling me, Randall, you have to get back on your work. You can't be doing the earthquake stuff or whatever. And it led to me discovering that a company wanted to psychologically evaluate me. And at that moment, I thought for sure that was that's the end of it. And I left Friday evening tremendously filled with fear. I was very afraid. And I headed down the, the highway to uh, San Diego First Assembly, hoping to find some help at that church. Unfortunately, I did not. I found uh, kids having a party, but they were not into scriptures. They were having a high school celebration party. And this was at the church? Yes, at the oh. church. Yeah. Okay. It just stood an event, but nobody was about ready to counsel. <laughs> yeah, they were having a good time. Engineer. No. <laughs> so I walked the neighborhood for about two hours, and when people saw me, the look on my face, they shut the door. It was like, this. we know something's really wrong with Randall, but we're not about to even talk to him. And that led to a feeling of even more rejection. So I finally uh, realized I was not gonna get any help. I got in my car about 9.30 and headed up and that's when I had my accident. Hmm. Now, I know that you mentioned that you were, driving in the car, having a nervous breakdown, and you hear a voice. What voice was this? And what did I the voice say? voice behind me, a little bit behind on my left side, and it spoke to me and it said, I am God. I will pilot your car to prove that I am. I will take over control of your car. And silly me, the science part of me said, Okay, I'll run the test. You take control of the car, but I'll watch. And if the car veers off, then I know absolutely that you are not God. And the voice said, okay. Uh, and I took my both hands off the steering wheel. The car went straight a little bit. And then all of a sudden it veered to the right. And at that moment, I realized that I had been tricked. But it was too late, Jennifer. At that moment, the wheels went off the pavement onto the soft shoulder, grabbed the wheel. I could not gain control of the vehicle. And it hit the light pole, the concrete stanchion that holds up the light pole. It clipped that. Wow. So this voice, this voice was a demonic spirit lying, saying that he was God. Did you have a feeling that maybe this wasn't God? Had a feeling that this wasn't God. Or yes, I did. I did. That's why I wanted to run the test, saying, I, "I'll give you a test, but if you fail the test, then I absolutely know that you are not God." Uh, I will tell everybody on the planet, please, please, never ever take your hand off the steering wheel. 
I agree. I agree to that one. Please keep it on the wheel. Ten and two. <laughs> okay, so you're driving. You listen to this voice to give it a test. You take your hands off. You go straight for a little bit. Then it veers to the right, and you crash. Now, when you crash, did you feel yourself crash? Did you feel the impact? And when did you know that you left your body? The moment I know it was the trouble when I did the impact on the left side of the vehicle. And then at that moment, I blacked out for less than a second. And when I woke up, I was actually about, I would say four or five feet above the car in the air, but I was on my back, supine, and my wrists hurt tremendously. And I realized what something was wrong. And slowly, I figured out that I was chained up and I was being held by this being. And I had three sets of chains on me and I could not break them. They were so strong. And I was totally chained up and I was above the car and I was very conscious now, very aware of what was going on. And I knew I somehow was outside the vehicle. So at this point, did you know you had died? Did you know you were outside of your body? I actually didn't have too much time to think about that because I was, I was hurting from the chains. They were cutting into my legs and my ankles and my wrists and the pain was very sharp. And I was trying to struggle loose. And at the same time, this being was shaking me like I was a leaf. He had a lot more power than I did. And then he was screaming and screaming. So I was not aware that I was outside of my body until about two or three seconds later when I realized, wait, whoa, 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 Randall, you're out, you're not in a car anymore. You're chained up. Wow. Now, where in your body were you chained? I know around your wrist and where else? On my ankles and my wrists were chained behind my back. Okay. And then I discovered to my frustration that these wrist and ankle chains were pulled tight together by a third chain. So you'd end up in a crouched position. Um, it's not a normal position. And it was very confining, very uncomfortable, but I was chained up very securely in that position. Now, could you see this being, I know you said it was a being, did you just have a did you just have a knowing that it was a being or did you see the being? I did not see him because he was behind me and he was very careful to keep himself strictly behind me. I tried to turn, but he would not let me turn. He had control of me with the chains. And I tried, I think two or three times to turn and see, but he would not allow me to move. And I was very securely held. I heard him as clearly as I'm talking to you now. Absolutely no doubt of what he was shouting. What happened after that? Well, he shouted, he's mine, he's mine, he's mine. His name is Liar, Liar, Liar. I'm taking him to the lake of fire. And at that moment, uh, it was so loud, it hurt my ears. But at that moment, all of a sudden he jerked me 
and it fell just like a free fall, like you had stepped into an elevator shaft. And at that moment, uh, I felt falling as I was being taken by the beam, but we were plummeting with a, I was almost heart sickening speed downward into blackness. Now, I remember you mentioning that as you were falling, you saw something and you heard something. There were words. What was it? Well, <laughs> being tremendously frightened at that time of falling and realizing that maybe that being was going to take me to hell, uh, I couldn't break the chains. I literally cried out to God with all my strength. And I said, God, God, what is happening? Why is this happening to me? And instantly, three scriptures materialized. They were actually living scriptures. And they materialized in the air in front of my vision. And I could read them. Uh, but they also spoke at the same time. And my heart sunk. My heart felt really sick. I almost felt sick to my stomach when I read the scriptures and they talked. Uh, the wages of sin is death. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. And uh, I could not serve two masters. Man cannot serve two masters. And at that point, after reading the scriptures, I think I judged myself, Jennifer. And I realized you deceived yourself. You, you tricked yourself into believing everything is okay. But the scriptures are announcing the true verdict here. Um, you really are headed for hell because the wages of sin is death just like the scripture said. And I had only deceived myself. I had not fooled God, and I most certainly had not fooled that evil spirit that held me in his grasp. Wow. And at this time, you were born again, correct? Yes, yes. You were Christian. I was. You were born again Christian. Yes. So would you say the once saved, always saved narrative is not legit? I would, ha I have to be a little more bold in that chapter and say uh, that doctrine is not true. And even as a Christian, you can lose your salvation and be lost. I agree. And there is scripture that backs it up um, multiple that says that he will blot your name out if, blot your name out if. What would you say to the person who was raised in religion that tells you once I say this script, I'm sorry, once I say this prayer at the altar, I'm saved, I can live how I want, I can cheat on my spouse, I can kill, murder, I can watch pornography, I can do drugs, whatever, I can just live a sinful life because I'm sealed, Jesus died on the cross for everything that I'm done, doing, and I'm covered, I'm good. What would you say to that person? You having experienced hell, because I've heard multiple times of people who have gone to hell, just as you were, as Christians, and they all say the same thing, I was sold a bill of goods when it comes to once saved, always saved. What would you say to everyone watching right now? I would have to tell everybody 
number one, you need to fear God. Absolutely need to fear God. Uh, Jesus gave the example where multitudes of people came up to him and said, didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we heal in your name? Didn't we do all kinds of amazing works? They felt absolutely in trying to argue with God that they were Christians. And what did the Lord tell them? Depart from me, you evildoers. I don't even know you, okay? And Jesus in John says that this is real love to keep our commands. Don't kid yourself. You are not keeping God's command if you're looking at pornography or you're allowing sin into your heart and life. You are not kidding anybody except yourself. And there is consequence for that. It's an eternal consequence. That's what I would say, Jennifer. Are you looking for some deep believing, bold quoted Christian t-shirts, hoodies, or sweaters? Look no further. Visit myjesusfriend.com to get 10% off whatever you want when you enter promo code BELIEVER21. That's www.myjesusfriend.com. Thank you for that. Now let's go back to you. Now you're still falling, correct? You're falling in hell. Now, what does hell sound like? What does it smell like? What does it look like? Can you even see what's going on? Well, before I answer that, I'll, I need to say something to the whole audience here. Not a single one of you, unless you've had experience like mine, even can grasp what it is to know that you're on your way to hell and you'll be there forever and ever and ever. This, after I read the scriptures, and the demon grabbed me and hurled me along further. I realized, and this was a terrible, terrible thought, which I could not think, but I had to think it. Randall, you did yourself in. Hell is your final destination, and you are not escaping. Jennifer, I cannot begin to tell you what it feels like when that door of hope is shut and you cannot get that door open anymore. And down, and I, I was resigned. I kind of resigned myself to my fate and said, Randall, you really did it to yourself. Now you got hell for all eternity. I was sarcastic with myself. Yeah, you did a really good job, Randall. Now you're damned forever and ever and ever. And as I kept falling, I kept thinking, You'll never, 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 never get out of this. This is, a, this is the final destination. I cannot plead with my listeners right now. You do not want to hear those words or be in this situation where all hope is being permanently removed. And that goes where... We know that all hope comes from God. So obviously there's a complete void of God there because it's a hopeless cause. When you're down there, it's, you don't have that, oh, I can try to get out. That's not even a thought in your head. No, I knew I could not get out. But also I knew that God had pled with me 
year after year after year. Randall, don't be doing those things. His Holy Spirit would convict me again and again and again. Don't do those sins. Don't go down to San Diego visit prostitutes. Don't be reading pornography. And I just blew it off. I just basically said, God, I want my will, not yours. And now I was literally getting my own will. God finally said, okay, Randall, have it your way. Since you don't want my way, you can have your way. But it was going to be in hell now. So basically, you have to live the life. Once you give your life to Jesus, it's not just a prayer. You have to abandon that old lifestyle and then live the life that the Lord commands us to live. And at that point, you weren't living that. But now you know that, okay, this is a lifestyle. Being a born-again Christian, we're now a child of God, so we have to behave like our father. So what did hell smell like, look like, feel like? Uh, any sensations? Well... I don't know why I'm smiling. Maybe it's the thought that uh, Hollywood cannot even make it bad enough to adequately portray what it really is. But I see people, the YouTube videos on hell, they do not even come close to showing what that is really like. First of all, you start to suffocate the air. You actually feel the air becoming stifling and you notice the temperature rising right away. The darkness is increasing, you're aware of that, and you start to feel suffocated as you continue falling down. Definitely was aware of the atmosphere change. But I also became aware of hopelessness growing bigger and bigger. You're a spiritual being, so you pick up things spiritually, not only just the spiritual world, but you also pick up things like hopelessness, fear, dread, anxiety, uh, regret. Those are actually amplified. And those were growing stronger on me as we kept going down to hell closer and closer. Then finally, I could smell the sulfurous fumes. There was an odor of brimstone that definitely was getting stronger and stronger. Now, when I spoke to you earlier, you said that hell was very disorderly. You said that it was very chaotic, um, as if broken glass. Could you just go back into that? Because that's what really gripped me when you explained that to me. Could you just tell our audience that? Yes. As I got closer to the lake of fire, all of a sudden I could hear very faint at first, but it got louder and louder screams of people that were being tormented in hell. And the screams were discordant and very screechy. There were, I know here on earth, if you hurt an animal, an animal gets hurt, they screech. That people screeching in hell is much worse than any screech that you hear on earth. And they literally were screeching in pain and torment. And they were yelling for help and screaming for help. And yet I had this sickening feeling that there was no help. There was no help available. And the screams got louder and louder. And the only thing that I can use, Jennifer, to adequately describe 
the effect it had on me was like hearing a big window pane or a sliding glass door be shattered into a million pieces. You hear all that glass breaking and all that sharpness and everything. And that's exactly the way the sounds of hell were cutting into my being at that moment. Uh, you cannot take those screams. You absolutely cannot take listening to those screams. It's real people. It's real torment. It's real flames. It's real suffering. And yet at the same time, I felt you're, you're going to be part of that in just a few moments, too. You're going to be in hell in a lake of fire just like them. Very, very awful, Jennifer. Very awful. Now, Randall, I know that we have a lot of audience members listening right now, and some of them are thinking it'll just feel like a dream. If I go to hell, whatever, because it'll feel like a dream. Does it really feel like a dream, or does it feel like you're really here, just like me and you are talking, or is it even more so where it's like, okay, I'm actually more alive when I was in hell than I am right now? It's absolutely more alive in hell than I'm alive right now talking to you through the Zoom meeting. Absolutely more real. You're very, very conscious of everything. Uh, your, your senses are heightened 10 times over and you're just, you're taking all this in and the realness of it is shocking you realize this is real hell. It's real. It really is there. I'd only read about it. I had pastors talk about it, but even their best description of the hell fell very, very short of what now I was actually experiencing. Yes, very more real than our physical experiences in life, Jennifer. Randall, so what would you say to that person who would say, okay, um, I would rather go to hell with my spouse, or I would rather go to hell with my children because at least I'll be with them. Are they really with each other in hell? Do you even see your loved ones in hell? You could just spend time with you in hell. Do you even speak to people in hell? Because I know a lot of people, you know, Hollywood, like you mentioned, would make hell look a little fun or, you know, let's go to hell and have a party. So what would you say to that person who would say, whatever, I just want to go to hell with my loved one because at least I won't be by myself. I'm just going to be very frank here to everyone. Say, stop fooling yourself. I said, the demons in hell have charge of that torment. They will absolutely separate you from your loved one, number one. But number two, and this is even stronger, when you're in hell, your heart begins to flow with hate. I, I People don't realize this, Jennifer. You become a part of hell and your heart becomes wicked, becomes filled with this hate and rage and anger. And I guarantee, I absolutely guarantee, as sure as the Bible is the word of God, you will be cursing your loved ones in hell. You'll be beating on them if you even had a chance to be together, you would be pounding and beating and cursing 
each other. So this is foolishness to believe that you'll have companionship in hell that somehow brings relief. Nothing could be further from the truth. Wow. Now, do you have regret? Do you remember everything you did on earth? Uh, that's one of the punishments of hell, Jennifer. You have regrets, you have a memory that won't go away and you have nothing to take your regrets away. They just constantly sting. They just keep eating at you. And every time you look around, you realize I could have had a chance. I, I could have accepted salvation. I should have lived righteously. I should not have been doing these sins, but now my chances are gone. And that regret eats on you. It's almost like a worm eating away. It just continually gnaws on you and there's nothing to stop it. So Randall, why do you think Jesus preached more about hell than about heaven? Why do I think? Jesus preached more about hell than about heaven. Well, <laughs> I guess I'm trying to warn everybody Please don't be a hypocrite, a Pharisee, a deluded, deceived Christian that I was. You need to have true holiness come into your heart and in your life. You need to have the purity and the holiness of God in your heart. And you need to stay away from sin as far as you possibly can. I, maybe that's why I'm concentrating more on sharing hell. Hell is such a terrible place. I don't want any of my listeners. I don't care who you are. Maybe you've committed the most sins in the world. Maybe you're in prison right now. Maybe you're wealthy. Maybe you uh, have a business very successful. I tell all of you, regardless of your station of life, not one of you should even spend five seconds in hell. That's how bad it is. And I guess I'm pleading from my heart to everyone, please, please, please listen to the Heavenly Father and do not go to hell. Amen. And I believe that's the reason why Jesus spoke more about it, because he didn't want us to go there. He loved us so much. Now, Right when you are about to be thrown into the lake of fire, you're falling, you're falling, and falling. What happened miraculously? Well, I heard the demon scream very loudly. He's mine, he's mine, he's mine. And right at that moment, he, I could feel him pick me up to throw me into like, and then all of a sudden, I heard what sounded like gunshots going off. It was very loud, abrupt. I'll clap here, but it was like, it was very loud. And I blacked out for about a second or two. And then I woke up, but I was not in hell any longer. What happened? Well, I was trying to figure out, Jennifer, what happened? I, mean, I was sitting there going, what happened? 
The next thing I realized, I said, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. I'm not in hell. I don't know how I got free, but I'm not in hell. And I was weeping and crying with the realization that I had escaped hell, but I didn't know how. I didn't know what I was doing up. I was in a quiet place above the earth, about two or 3,000 miles off the earth, but I was in a very quiet place, literally getting myself back together again after tasting hell. And it, it took a while for me to regain my composure. And who was with you? Because I know you mentioned that when uh, you were... Well, I was actually alone for a while in that area, recovering. And then I heard a voice speak. Now, why did you need to recover? Because I hear this a lot, how um, people say that when they've encountered hell and come back, that they feel as if you can't mentally, without the help of God, survive it because it's so atrocious, it's so uh, tormenting, the memory of hell, the experience of hell where you would literally go crazy. So is that why you believe the Lord had you just recuperate and just get things back to normal because of what you experienced? Yes. yes. He had to give me recuperation time because you cannot endure that. I see, I had not landed in the lake of fire. I was only on my way down there. I would guess two or three minutes, okay. But even that, uh, hearing especially the screaming of the people, uh, that was incredibly bad, really bad. And the Lord knew, the Father knew that I needed time to recover from the trauma. It was just incredible psychological trauma to your spirit and soul. It gave me time to recoup. Now, you told me that the father came to meet you. When did this happen? Where did it happen? And this is still while you're outside of your body, correct? Yes, correct. I'm, I'm, I had hope restored to me. That's why I was crying. I know I was not in hell. I knew that somebody had, had apparently rescued me. And then all of a sudden, I heard this incredible voice speak to me. <laughs> incredible. He said, I cannot describe how a, much authority that voice had was all the authority in the world. And I don't know how, but I instantly knew it was God the Father talking to me. And he was behind me. I didn't see him. But he spoke to me and he said, my son, you and I have an important decision to make. I am going to let you make that decision and I will give you all the time you need to make that decision. That was the first thing he spoke to me. And what happened after that? Well, he said the most amazing thing. He said, I trust you. First time in my life that I had an authority figure speak to me and say, I trust you. I believe in you. I believe that you are capable of doing something good. I believe the best in you. It was God, the Father, speaking faith 
into my heart, Jennifer. Now, Randall, do you think that God the Father came down instead of Jesus, even though they're the same, one and the same? Uh, do you think that the Father came to you because of your personal relationship with your earthly father? Yes, no, absolutely. It was God the Father Himself that rescued me from the lake of fire. Amen. Now, from there, He took you to heaven. I know you mentioned that you were able to see or get a taste of seven places in heaven, but only five, you recall. Could you start from there? Yes, hopefully I can remember. <laughs> the Father, uh, I argued with the Father. I said, why are you even talking to me? I'm not a good son. I disobeyed you. I was being taken to hell in that. And he discounted that. He said, son, I know all those things, but I placed your sins on my son. That is amazing when you think about that, that God the Father is willing to talk with us, even when you're a person like I was, full of wickedness, full of deceit, full of lying. I believe that was my main sin, Jennifer, lying. And yet God is saying, I trust you. That is totally amazing. A testament to the incredible grace of God the Father. And then he said, Randall, I'm going to allow you to taste heaven. And I knew that was seven areas. And I, he didn't actually take me inside of heaven, but actually a part of me experienced heaven as it was very, very real, very real. Okay, now I know that you mentioned when you got a taste of heaven, when you saw different parts, one of the first places you saw was a university. Yes. You can help coach me here for recalling. Okay, well, I know you mentioned how the Lord, he said, Randall, here is your university. Yes. Because there's still well, the first place that I was taken, uh, I got to see was this building, which I instantly recognized as a university was over six stories tall, built with the purest white marble, and it gleamed with the glory light of heaven. And it had many rooms in it. And I knew it was the University of Learning. And I said, well, whose is that? And the father said, that is your university. And I was stunned. I, I said, that's worldly, that's worldly learning. And the father instantly corrected me. And he said, Randall, it was my mathematics that you learned. All knowledge comes from me. And learning does not stop on earth. It goes on in heaven forever and ever. And he said, here is your university. If you like, you can study mathematics in heaven as much as you want to, and you can teach others my mathematics. What an honor to be asked by the Father to help teach his knowledge. And he had this university constructed there for me. Uh, totally blew my mind. Uh, we serve a Father 
who was so loving that he would actually create a university because he had put a math talent inside of us. Do you believe that math talent comes from him? Because I keep hearing over and over that God is, I know we said this earlier, God is a God of numbers. Absolutely no, that that math talent came from him. No doubt in my mind. <laughs> so after this, you're taken to another area of carpentry. Could you elaborate yes. on that? Yes. I, the father said, come on, I have another area to show you. And just in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, I was in this wonderful carpentry shop. And pe people were busy working. And I looked and I noticed a lot of the same tools that we had used on earth. I saw a plane there. I saw a shape, spoke shape that you use for shaping the wood. Uh, I didn't see any power saw. I did, <laughs> but I did see something that was like a hand saw for cutting wood. And I knew instantly that it was a carpentry shop. And before I could say anything, the father said, or you could build things for my children here as a carpenter, just like my son. <laughs> now, I have to laugh because God the Father has some incredible sense of humor. <laughs> and well, I'm glad you mentioned that. How's his personality? Is he cool, laid back? What is he like? I'm going to cry, but that's okay. He's absolutely pure, holy love. He's absolutely the most incredible loving person. And he's so pure, absolutely incredibly pure at the same time. And he genuinely, genuinely loves you with all of his being. I'm sorry for crying a little no. bit. People need to know who God, God the Father really is. Probably the most loving person ever. Remember, it was him that asked his son to give up his life for us. Now, from there, you're taken to the third place, which is the orchard. Yes. <laughs> the orchard. <laughs> well, you've read in the scriptures in Revelation about the tree of life and the 12 fruits in their season. But uh, God planted me right in the middle of an apricot orchard. Now, you may smell roses and peonies and lilacs, and you may think, wow, these flowers smell great. But you haven't smelled anything until you smell so are you saying, okay, so you can apricot smell stuff in heaven. So you have a, okay, you have a fragrance. Okay. The fruit up in heaven smells as great as the best flowers down here do. They have absolutely not lost any of their fragrance, and they're just as perfumed as any flower is, as our best flowers here. So there was intense apricot. They have just a trace of almond, and I asked the father where that was, and he said, from the center of the fruit. 
He said, I put a pit in the fruit on earth. They had that almond in it flavor. But there was a tiny, tiny little bit of almond because earthly things are built on a pattern of heavenly things, Jennifer. The apricot trees in heaven came first before the apricot trees on earth. So what are here? I'm sorry. Here's the cool thing. God knew that I loved fruit trees. When I was in Porterville, California, we had fruit trees in the backyard. And my favorite tree was the apricot tree with the slims just breaking down with hundreds of apricots. Now, God the Father watches us very, very carefully, and he knows what we love. He knew that I really love fruit trees, pears and apricots in particular, and he plumped me right in the middle. <laughs> oh. Did you get to eat one? Yes, I did. So you can eat in heaven? Yes. There's food? Yes. Hallelujah. Yes, absolutely <laughs> there is food. In so what I'm hearing from, you know, just these three places right here, it sounds like all three of these have been the desires of your heart on earth and they continue into heaven. Is that what you're saying? That when God says he'll give you all the desires of your heart, that it doesn't just stop on earth. It continues into eternity. Yes, uh, I would add one word to that, Jennifer. <laughs> he will give you all the holy, H-O-L-Y, desires of your heart. Good answer. Good, good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for correcting me on that one. But he knew that I love fruit trees. And I was in the orchard. And then he allowed me to view the other orchards of heaven. So I got to see many types of fruit being grown. And people were gathering fruit and they would disappear with baskets of fruit to other places of heaven so that other people could share. You're, you're reminding me of something very important, which okay. we haven't talked about yet. Okay. What is heaven really built on? What really makes heaven go? And I want you to know that the first thing when he allowed me to taste heaven was number one, you know that you've reached your final destination. Number two, you are incredibly loved. Now here on earth, we look for love and we hope our parents can love us. We hope somebody can love us. A spouse we hope would love us best of all. But I've got news for everybody. In heaven, everybody loves each other with perfect love, and it's never out of place, and not, it is absolutely genuine. They are not kidding with you. They are not toying with you. They are not giving you false love. You actually are loved for the very first time, truly, the way that God designed you to be loved. And you feel instantly that you fit in heaven and you want to be there for all eternity. Uh, the first thing I noticed in that whole atmosphere was the harmony of heaven. There was a musical harmony. Everything 
was fit together perfectly. Now I told you in hell was like window glass being shattered and broken. Everything is discordant. It's exactly opposite in heaven. Everything fits together. Nothing is out of place and there's incredible harmony. This is something that we don't realize here on earth. I can say this because of my visit to heaven and hell, that we have a tremendous thing to look forward to, fully participating with God in that fellowship. Amen. Well, speaking of fellowship, the fourth place God sent you to was a place of fellowship. What was that? Well, I'm going to slightly preface that, Jennifer. He, God did take me to a fellowship place, but he had something very special in mind. And he even talked to me about it. But I was taken to a meeting center, which God said, these are my meeting centers in heaven. And there were crowds of people talking and in one area, it was a large area, like an auditorium. I saw a man talking to the audience. I knew that he was a saint that had just come to heaven, not too long, but he, he was starting to learn how heaven works. And he was orating, giving an oration to the audience. Now, God spoke to me at that moment, and he said, Randall, I knew how disappointed you were when you lost that oratory debate in Billings, Montana, and it wasn't your fault. And I knew that I had an incredible loving father who not only was aware of how we got disappointed, but that he was going to make it up to us in heaven. He deliberately, deliberately picked that area because he knew of my severe disappointment of losing that debate. Wow. That's beautiful, Randall. So God does give you the good desires of your heart. <laughs> well, he knows what's good for you too. He really does. And in that oratory, I saw something very amazing happen. I saw pure communication. People in the audience were listening to the person speaking, but when he would struggle or he'd come up to some point, uh, they would actually think back to him. Uh, in heaven, you things run on thoughts, okay? But they instantly communicated back to him and they imparted knowledge to him on the fly that actually improved his ability to speak, it was like instant correction. Here on earth, we would wait until the debate is over. We'd look and well, what could I've done better? In heaven, there is instant correction, but in a very exciting way, Jennifer, we're actually able to build each other up in the spirit instantly. And I was a little bit stunned when I saw that happen. And God spoke to me and said, yes, Randall, that is the way communication works in heaven. We actually have this. He gives us the privilege of building each other up in the spirit this way. 
That's beautiful. So you have a great support group in heaven. Heaven is basically, like you said, pure love because God is there. So everybody is there to encourage one another and to help build one another. Not too much like earth right now, but we'll get there. <laughs> now, I know the fifth and the sixth place, you said the Lord um, removed that from your memory for now. But the seventh place. Well, I did have one restored back to me about a year and a half ago or so. It was actually the playground area. And I was out in the grass playing with the kids. Wow. Yes. And it's some of them might have been the kids that the Lord set aside for me. I did speak with you earlier about what happens to the aborted babies they are instantly taken to heaven and very, very lovingly taken care of. Um, and who takes care of the babies when they're there? Is it the angels? Is it family members? It's both, Jennifer. If the child is all alone, the angels are assigned to take care of the children, okay? And they actually do a better job than earthly moms do. I'm sorry, mother. I believe it. <laughs> but there are people who come to heaven, uh, they die, and they're part of the family, and they rejoin their family. For example, I am looking forward to meet my sister in heaven. She died in my mother's womb at eight months' age, stillborn, but I know that she's very, very much alive. Very much alive. It's be a beautiful, beautiful reunion. Wow. So you saw the babies. So that would yes. be about. I was out playing, playing with the, <laughs> the kids. So were there a lot of children there? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Tons, tons of children in heaven. Okay. All very happy, having fun at the top of their lungs. <laughs> actually running around grabbing the more mature people there and asking them to play with them, it, it's better than any playground on earth. Wow. Why, I want to go. Can I go? <laughs> <laughs> I want to have fun. Well, there's so much to see in heaven. You, you literally cannot even see it in a lifetime, oh. Jennifer. It, it literally takes eternity to totally explore all of heaven. So it's a vast place. It's not just- a Yes, absolutely vast. Mm -hmm. incredibly huge okay um, i was stunned by how big heaven was all right so let's get to the last place you saw which was the throne room tell us about that well i'm smiling big because god the father always saves the very best stuff to the last and he had had me taste six areas and the seventh now was his, the very best, really. And the father knew that I had helped lead worship for the church services. He knew how much I enjoyed worshiping him. And he knew that I had a heart in me to worship God. I, I do, to this very day. I have a real heart to worship the father. And he allowed me to see the throne. Uh, parked me in front of it, but he 
it's huge. That throne is absolutely enormous, very huge. But he blocked himself out so I would not be blinded by the glory light that comes from him. Now that he hid it behind his cloud of glory so I could see the super bright light on the edges. But I was able to look up and see the rainbow around the throne, this incredible, incredible sparkling living rainbow. And I heard the most awesome worship music coming from the throne, from the rainbow. And I looked and I looked at the purple part, which is closest to the throne. There is a rainbow, it's purple, then blue, then green, then yellow, orange, red, and then it goes back to gold and joins the light, the glory light in heaven. But my focus is on the purple part. And all of a sudden I recognized I was seeing and hearing the seraphim of God. And they were singing, they were singing the most incredible pure worship music that you have absolutely ever heard. It melted me literally down on the spot. Now I know that Isaiah saw the very same thing and he wrote about that, but he too melted down right on the spot. I guarantee you take any person on earth and have them hear those seraphim singing, they'll be instant meltdown. Were there songs from earth that you heard or were they new songs? They were doing worship songs that they were getting from the Holy Spirit. They were completely other than worldly, what we've heard on earth. Uh, it was a total, total, complete other. It was incredibly pure, incredibly worshipful, incredibly beautiful other. It was like discovering the real beauty, thinking that the beauty, the worship that we had on earth was real worship and all of a sudden, these seraphim are giving you an example of what pure worship really, really is. I was slowly stunned and melted on the spot when I heard that. Wow, beautiful. So what happened? Well, there's something that happens in heaven. Regardless of all the areas that I visited, your heart wants to take part with everything. You have a desire to to do heaven, not just be a part of it, but to participate in heaven, to be a living part of heaven. And so at that instant, I wanted to join in and sing with the seraphim at that moment. And did you? Yeah, so I heard God the Father. And spoke to me and he said, would you like to join us, Seraphim? He didn't even have to ask that question. He knew that's what I wanted to do. And before I could even answer and say yes, he put me right in the middle with them. I'm crying because it was such a holy experience. 
such holiness there. Now, I was in the middle of that purple part of the rainbow. It was both fire and rainbow at the same time. It was very, very pure, very, very hot. And yet, the Father had granted me an unbelievable privilege of worshiping with them. And I saw the seraphim uh, go past each other. Some were going clockwise, some were going counterclockwise as they were circling in the rainbow. And I got to see that and hear that and be a part of that for a brief moment of time. Now, did the Lord show you your entire life and did he show you your rewards? Yes. <clears throat> Lest I get fixated with the seraphim, the father pulled me down out of that. And I got a little bit frustrated because, no, no, I want to stay with them. And the father said, no, Randall. I have to pull you out of that because it will change your ability to make a good decision, was kind of the way he explained it to me. He said, I've given you a taste of heaven. Now, what part do you pick? Well, Jennifer, I was going to pick the seraphim, be there for all eternity, sing with them. But something stopped me. And I thought for a second, God the Father's given me everything. He's absolutely pure, incredible love. He saved the very best of heaven to the last. But I haven't thought of how I could love God. And I, I spoke to the Father and said, Father, there's something, something I haven't done. I said, heaven runs on love but I'm supposed to love. I'm supposed to love you. What do you want me to do? And that's when I realized that I had to, and I said to him, I'm having trouble. I don't know what to do. I need your help. Father, would you help me make this decision? And at that moment, all of a sudden, he put up like a living, uh, PowerPoint slide presentation, put a picture of my life as a tapestry. And he said, gladly, my son, I will help you make a good decision. And I looked and it was my life. And I said, what is that? And he said, those are eternal rewards. If you do my will, you actually have an eternal reward for all eternity that accompanies that. It was a very rich threaded tapestry, like the finest cloth in the world. And I saw my accident where I was at, interrupted right in the middle, and I saw my future, next uh, 35 years future or so. And I also saw a grayed out area at the very beginning. And I asked the father, what? Why is that grayed out? And he said, you were not born again. Nothing counts until you're actually born again, become a child of God. So that was from that 18 years old and forward. So that's what I saw, Jennifer. 
And I saw things look more full to the right, to the future of my accident. And I said, Father, why is that? And he said, because you have decided to obey me more carefully and more fully, there are more rewards that are accruing up in this area. And then I understood that the only thing that holds us back, Jennifer, is our stubborn self-will. But God the Father wants to give us the very best of everything that's possible. I, I strongly urge everyone, all listeners, please, please, please work on your eternal tapestry of life. You will never, ever regret it. And you will be so happy when you see the eternal rewards that God the Father has laid up for you. Amen. Glory to God. Now, how did you get back into your body? Well, at, I knew at that moment, Father didn't even have to say a word, Jennifer. I knew at that moment, go back, Randall. Shh, I'm not going to tell you directly. I'm not going to give you a command, but I really want you to go back and share about it. So I spoke to him and said, yes, I'll go back. I made the decision. I, I need to go back. And he said, are you sure, my son? Because this is what is going to happen to you. And he showed me what was going to happen in my accident before I was even finishing the accident. What an amazing, loving, compassionate God who had actually feel such compassion over our accident that he'd say, look, you don't have to go through this accident. You don't want to. You can stay up in heaven with me. That is real compassion, Jennifer. Amazing, amazing compassion. Amen. And I said to him, I'll go back. He showed me my bones would be broken. I broke three ribs, yes. He showed me concussion. Show me the bleeding. There was blood all over the car. Showed me, a, I almost broke my back in half. Um, and I said, yes, Father, if I can hold your hand, I can get through anything. And yes, Jennifer, the Father had the same kind of smile on his face that you have. Oh, I guess I get it from him, like you get your math from him. <laughs> 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 wow, that's so beautiful. So he prepared you. And that's how God is, right? He prepares us. He doesn't just, a lot of times, he doesn't just throw us into things as his children. He prepares us. So Yes, he, he absolutely prepares us. Uh, sometimes we're not prepared. It's not the Father's fault. It's because we were neglectful or we allowed other things to get in the way and take our time away. <laughs> but we have a very, very loving Heavenly Father. Yes, we do. I agree. So how long would you say you were in heaven for? Uh, about 18 minutes. Okay. 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 About 18 minutes. Okay. And that's what your math tells you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what message would you, if you can give the audience one specific message right now in our day and age, what would you tell them based on your testimony? 
I would tell them, I would want them to absolutely fall in love with God the Father. He's not this angry, wrathful God. Consider that he snatched me himself, literally off the lake of fire. I want my reader to see the Father the same way that Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, does. Jesus said that he came to do his Father's will, not his own. Do you know what kind of love that takes for you to do somebody else's will and not yours? Do you know how much trust that takes? Even married people don't even trust each other that much. <laughs> and yet, Jesus trusted his father to the point that he said, I, I, I'm done. I'm not going to do my will. I'll do your will. So I would tell the listener out there, Jesus Christ died literally to bring us to the Father. It's time that we come to the Father. Beautiful. Randall, could you just end this out in prayer, please? Pray for our viewers. Yes. Heavenly Father, I tried to be as truthful as I possibly can here in sharing about heaven and hell. Father, I don't want anyone to experience not even five seconds in hell. It literally is hell, and no one is equipped to be in that place. Father, I ask that you would touch their hearts today, listening to my testimony, that they would realize that there is a hell, and there is a heaven, and there is a heavenly father, and he's made a very special way for us to come to him through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that whoever is touched in their heart by the things that I've shared would begin to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and ask for a new heart to become born again. Father, I ask that they would pray to get to know Jesus Christ and ask him to take them to the Father. Ask that they would have a heart of purity, have a heart of truth. And Father, please, 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 I pray that nobody do the sins, the terrible things that I did, because it is only by your grace, Father, that I'm even alive today and able to share this. I ask, Father, that people would come to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, this through his name. Let it be so, Father. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Randall. Thank you for sharing your testimony. I'm praying that this message gets out to everybody on YouTube, as many as possible. Our days aren't long on this earth right now, and we just need to focus on the love of the Father. 
how much he loves us and how we all need to go to him. So thank you so much, Randall, for your testimony. Thank you so much for being transparent. Thank you for pouring out your heart. And I really appreciate it. Jennifer, I want to add one more thing here. Sure. If, if I can. I have not, I've not said too much about this, but the American church has neglected holiness. And holiness is absolutely crucial to getting to know God the Father. When I turned aside from my sin and began to embrace holiness, that is when I began to experience true fellowship with God, with God the Father. I cannot say enough what Jesus said, the pure in heart shall see God. He didn't mean after they die 60 years later. He said right now, that's what that says. If we are pure, we shall see God. I want to leave this promise. Please seek the holiness and purity of the Father, and you will discover him beyond your wildest dream. Amen. And what quick advice would you give them in order to do that? Would you, because like you said, the American church isn't where it's supposed to be. Um, would you encourage them to read the word of God for themselves? What would you give them the advice for? I would say to do three things. Number one, you're going to have to pray. And I'm talking about a committed, dedicated type of prayer, okay? Not this quick one-minute thing. That will not work. Number two, you need to read the scriptures. You absolutely need to read the scriptures. And let the Holy Spirit work on your heart. God will use those scriptures to purify your heart, okay? Uh, for example... Search me and know me, O God. See if there be some wicked way in me. That's in his word. But how many of us are taking time each day to let God search us? If you give God the time, he will expose the otherness that's in your heart, the sin. And that will give him a chance to purify you, to put his holiness into you. And number three, please, please, Worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make sure that you're worshiping God. He loves that. Jesus said that he, Father, looks for such that will worship him. Image of a person going to and fro, a whole planet. Is there a worshiper? Can I find somebody that will worship me? This is God himself. Lucky. We can put the biggest smile on his face by saying, yes, dad, I'll worship you. I'll raise my hands and I'll glorify you. Looking for some deep believing, bold quoted Christian t shirts, hoodies, or sweaters? Look no further. Visit myjesusfriend.com to get 10% off whatever you want when you enter promo code Believer21. That's www.myjesusfriend.com.